it's me, Joey Candles. I'm here to tell you that you can get some candles, 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 candles. What do you need for your fall? Candles. What do you need for your house? Candles. What do you need to light up the dark skies of the evening? Candles. What do you need to keep you uh, motivated and occupied during this weird fall we're going to have with lots of hearings and court cases and people being arrested and all kinds of stuff? Joey Candles says you need candles. So the candles you need are some P-tape candles and some Robert Mueller prayer candles. And you can get them from Dan Sinker at omfg.church. Hi, everyone. I'm acclaimed young adult author Maureen Johnson, and I'm here to tell you about my book, Truly Devious. Do you like mysteries? Do you like books? Do you like private schools? Do you like dead people? All of those things are in my book, Truly Devious, which you can get at great booksellers like the one you go to normally. Ask them for Truly Devious by Maureen Johnson. That's me, because I like to write books. All right, Maureen, are you there ready to record? Uh, hello, sir. Are you, uh... Are you here for the service? Uh, I'm here to record Says Who with Maureen Johnson. Who, Who is this? Uh, well, we're here to celebrate her memory today, sir, if you just want to come along this way and uh, you mean we'll have a program. Like celebrate that she remembers stuff? She does remember a lot of things. You haven't heard, sir? Oh, she's dead. Oh, I knew she'd been sick. She's yeah. dead? Yeah, she she's dead. Uh she's um, Oh my. Yeah. It's very unfortunate. Oh. Oh it got I think someone would have called me. That's terrible. So, very sorry, sir. If you want to take a moment. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, just you know, remember her for the way she would want to be remembered. Um kind of kind of barfy. Uh Reading the news a lot, checking her phone when she first woke up, um, reading reading books about the Trump administration, uh, written by you know various randos and Amarosa, and knowing far too much about this case. And well, sir, now that I'm kind of laying it all out like this, I'm I'm wondering how she spent her time. And well, she probably. Could have been doing other things, really, but you know, it's always, it's always, we think about these things too, too late, don't we, sir? Anyway, she's, uh. Well, she lived a full life. Did she? Mm, sure. Welcome to Says Who, the podcast that isn't a podcast. It's a coping strategy. I'm Dan Sinker. And I'm Dan Sinker. And I am recording from my bed. Hmm. You're, too, you're nailing it, Maureen. Dan. You're nailing You seem fine. Dan. I mean, yesterday you were like, oh, I can't do it. I, got, I took a lot of medicine. I can do it now. Uh, but you seem fine. So today. what's happened, Sizuvians, is not that I get a lot of illnesses. I appear to have the same illness twice. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I had some really nasty stomach bug that knocked me down for a couple of days, and went to the ER. And they're like, maybe it's your appendix, and then it wasn't. And then they sent me home, and I got totally better. But the th what seems to have happened is that, like like a sequel, you know, it's like the thing that you thought was dead in the in the first movie. A, a tiny bit of it remained and regrew and came back bigger and nastier. Um, and uh, boy, oh boy, boy, oh boy. So until they get the test results back and find which medication will kill whichever little buggy is currently inhabiting my system, I am, uh, it's, illness is not a dignified process. You know, if you think about it, though, it's like you've got a little friend, like a little friend that you just carry probably thousands of little friends that you're carrying around in your belly. 
couple million little friends like Aww. minions all in my yeah. That's so cute. Yeah. And uh, yellow with big um, eye. Yeah. uh, Oh, banana. Yeah. See? Don't you feel better now? I did eat a banana yesterday. Yeah. I was. You'll never walk alone, Maureen. I'll never walk. I don't get out of bed, Dan. I stay perfectly still. Perfectly still. You are in your bed right now. I am. It's like if I can just stay really, really still, that seems to be helpful. And. So I've got this, I don't even drink Coke, but I, my, basically I sip Coke over crushed ice and try to stay as still as possible. Sounds nice. Yeah. It's not, when it doesn't feel terrible, it's not bad. Like when, when it gives me a break and I'm just sitting still, I'm like, this is great. Like, this is pretty good. And then of course the, the other moments where you're crawling around, um, you know, having unpleasant things happen then you're like this is not so great uh well you know that's the range of illness this is okay to this is not so great so um we recorded an episode yeah this is uh this is i am finally back in my basement i'm no longer on the road so we are uh, or at least we were were supposed to be back on our regular recording schedule of recording on a Tuesday and releasing on a Wednesday. It is now Wednesday because of my uh, fault. My uh, fault, illness. Illness, illness uh, delayed us, but uh, but yeah, we're back. And uh, before that, we were recording at at really kind of whatever day I was going to have the most consistent internet. Um, while I was on my travels. So the previous episode, we recorded on a Sunday and released on a Wednesday. And <laughs> Michael Cohen flipped in between. A lot of stuff happened. And it that day was a Tuesday. And I was taking my dog Zelda down to Philadelphia to I did a family visit while my husband Oscar was away I was like it's my dad's 75th birthday you know gonna go down see the family visit make a cake you know give her some outdoor time I'll do some writing sitting outside it's like nice end of summer break and I was sure, in that car sounds great yeah like just visiting the fam sitting out on the porch with a glass of iced tea doing some work and I was like, I'm going to take some time where I'm not sitting in front of my computer all the time. Me and my notebook getting back to basics. It was all good. I was in that car for an hour and 45 minutes. And from the time I got in the car till the time I got out of the car. <laughs> it was that period of one hour and 45 minutes seems to be when all the shit went down. It was astonishing. Uh, it was and really I, something. And I'm trying to remember just what, how it all, I mean, because it seems like, I, I mean, that that was the time before I sat in bed and sipped Coke over chipped ice. Um, Dan, can you take us back? Sure. Um, yes. So there was a, there was a, a series of events that were months in the making that all managed to happen essentially simultaneously within minutes of each other. Uh, first, Mr. Says Who, Michael Cohen, uh, appeared in court uh, on the Southern District of New York charges uh, and pled guilty to eight of them, including uh, paying off Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal at the direction of Donald Trump. Though it didn't say Donald Trump in the in the documents, it said person number one who is the president of the United States. <laughs> so who who do we think that is? I mean, I guess there are forty four other people it could have been. Right. I kind of think it's Grover Cleveland, John Quincy Adams. I was going to say, but it's I, it could be either. Really, yeah. 
but yeah, so that that happened, and it was like, whoa, this is bananas. What? Wah, wah. And then suddenly the Manafort jury, which had been out for days, came in and found Manafort guilty. Oddly, also on eight counts. Eight. <laughs> the magic number. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, found guilty on... Uh, tax evasion and fraud and you know all of all of this sort of thing the the manafort trial always was about kind of his dealings with the ukraine and money like that all prior to um being on the campaign though there were instances brought up that included time during the campaign um but the cohen stuff almost entirely dealt with uh shady shit during the during the campaign. How did how yeah. did how did the old president take all that, Maureen? Fine. <laughs> He's been fine. He's been great. He really We've always known this, but he more than more than ever, I really had a moment of what does he do all day? Because it really seems like he has Twitter time, TV time, snack time, big chair time, executive time, Twitter time, TV time, then snacks in bed TV time with Twitter. Yeah, that sounds right. It. I don't feel like this is much of an exaggeration. And it, it, he really, he, one day he tweeted it seemed like it was 15, 20 times. It, it was a lot. Including and once that I believe it was at three in the morning. Sure, why not? Yeah. Seems fine. That's what and you then, want in a chief executive. That's what I want, for sure. Definitely. No, I mean, it. It. we always kind of knew he didn't do much work, but then you, I think it, maybe, in a, maybe in our minds we were like, well, he's got to be doing something. He's got to be doing something. Like, you can't just not be president, can you? I mean, they make you do something. They make you kind of read a report. I mean, you you got it. Like, there's so it's you have to, right? But then it really hit me. I'm like, no, I really don't think he is. No. I think they they put him in a meeting room every once in a while, and they tell him what he's going to do and who he's going to see, and he's like, "Where's that? What's that country?" And they show him a map and he calls it a shithole and asks why he's meeting with that person. And they say, because you have to. And he grumbles and then he has a snack and he watches TV and then he stands next to the person or takes the phone call, which sometimes doesn't work too well. Uh, as in the case of the president of Mexico, he, he couldn't get on the phone. Yeah. Um, and Phones then are he hard, goes, Maureen. Phones are They're, hard. They are complicated pieces of equipment. And then he goes back to tweeting and watching TV. And I, it, we'll, we'll get to what is going on there you know, a little bit later. So we might have some more information about what's going on in there. But uh, I am very excited that our boy, Mr. Says Who, Michael Cohen, I always believed in you, Michael, that you would flip like you a did. little fishy. Mm. I you have never been more right than you were about Michael Cohen. I felt so strongly that he was like you just yeah. knew, and he oh he's done me proud. You I knew before anyone. I know my people, and and I looked deep into his eyes and I said, I know who you are, Michael Cohen. And you're gonna turn at this first sign of danger. <laughs> you're, gonna, you're gonna be the first person in the scary house. It's like I'm out of here and runs out the front door. So, yeah. But the but uh, following Cohen, there has been sort of a a cascade of folks getting immunity uh, to talk. One of whom this was, I believe, the next day. Uh, yeah, was. was the head of American media, which is the uh, the National Enquirer, 
um, who had been involved in the Karen McDougal payoff because they actually bought her story and then never ran it and bought kind of, you know, perpetual exclusivity rights and never ran it. Um, He was granted immunity and a couple of things came out. First of all, that meant that any non-disclosure agreements were released apparently. And so uh, the doorman who back in April had been uh, the center of a Ronan Farrow article in the New Yorker, um, a doorman who claimed that the national Enquirer had bought his story, uh, a doorman at Trump tower who had bought his story that uh, Trump had had a, uh, an affair with a house uh, keeper who also had a baby um and that came out along with the actual contract he had with with American media but even beyond that there were stories that that David Pecker has an entire safe full of Donald Trump stories <laughs> I want to think that it came like they didn't even take the documents out like you literally get the safe yeah. Oh, yeah. Like they definitely they wheel up the safe with a bow on it. If they had successfully bought it, I think Trump would have been very mad if it didn't come in the safe. And then the next day, Trump's uh, the Trump Incorporated lawyer was given immunity. Yes. Alan Weiselberg, the chief financial officer of the Trump org, uh, has been granted immunity. Um which is awesome. He has all he it has always been kind of said that he is the one even beyond Cohen that knows, you know, where the bodies are buried and how the money is spent or where the money is coming from, all of that sort of thing. And we don't know what the outcomes of these, you know, this is an in-process story in the background that it will probably be a little while before we actually find out what these people had to say. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's all rolling up to the Southern District of New York. And then also Mueller. Mueller has, has sent a couple more things down to SDNY at this point. But when it's going to happen, I don't know. I, I have read a couple of things that say, like, it could well be that Mueller won't drop anything major until after the midterms because there's some sort of department of justice agreement that you don't drop stuff in the 60 days before an election, which I don't know. That kind of smells like bullshit considering the 2016 election. Absolutely. Yeah. And the fact that he's not running. Right. So everybody's like, well, does that apply or not apply? But how astonishing would it be if the day after the election, Mueller's like, well, here you go. Here's a whole bunch of stuff. Sorry, I just didn't want to mess anything up. I think our brains would blow up like in Mars Attacks, if you've ever seen that, where people's brains would just go. Pff. Yeah. It's like, That's... here, I've been hanging on to all this stuff. Is it cool now? <clears throat> the thing that I don't get about that, like the Department of Justice doesn't do things within 60 days, is like, who... At this point, believes that sort of like the gentlemen's agreements that apparently hold Washington, D.C. together are still on the table. Well, we the one of the other big events of the last uh, last two weeks was the death of Senator John McCain. And. um. McCain sent a strong message in his instructions for his funeral arrangements in that Trump was not invited. Yeah. But <laughs> but Obama but, and George W. Bush should But Obama and George W. Bush were and um everybody gave speeches that threw shade at Trump and then so uh, we a couple things happened around this that you, you 
you guys probably all saw and remembered. One was the issue of the curious incident of the flag. Yeah. So Trump was like, I guess they needed a presidential instruction that the flag had to be set to half mast. Right. Yeah. At first it wasn't. Yeah. At first it wasn't. Then it went down. Then it went back up. Then it went down again. It remind. I assumed that what was going on inside the White House at that point was like a scene out of the movie Airplane, <laughs> where people were just like jumping on top of, like grabbing the rope, put it up, put it down, put it up, put it down. Um, and I mean, this is another one of those moments where people expected the kind of you know the decorum of the office to win out, you know, and and the just way things work to work but you know he hates john mccain but there was still a level of expectation that you know trump was going to lower the flags the way they're always lowered for a senator who dies you know or issue a statement you know talking about the wonderful life and the death of a real american and all you know all of this stuff and uh instead we got uh, a tweet that just said, like, my thoughts go out to the family. There was never any official White House release. Uh, and then he just went golfing. Oh, Dan, he tripped over his dick about 15 times that day. When they <laughs> when they finally got him to put up like a quote with like a, like a remark right. about <laughs> condolences, instead of having what you would normally have, which would be like a an image with maybe like a black background with the image of the person being memorialized on the side, what you got was that kind of background with Donald Trump's image on the side. As if you had to see like his little speech bubble. Yeah. You know, so even in that, he had to put his own picture on it. He couldn't get anything right. And he so the flag, the quote, the it just then the 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 endless he goes golfing, the endless, 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 endless tweeting during the various ceremonies, like yeah. just going off the rails. And then he was asked because he you know people said he he didn't handle it that well, and he was asked about how his staff were feeling, and he said, oh yeah, about Sarah Sanders or Sarah Huckabee Sanders, like he's like, oh she's having a nervous breakdown. Because apparently she was upset about how he was handling it. And so he's like, oh, yeah, I I did great. But she she thinks I didn't. She's having a nervous breakdown. I mean, it's it was was unreal. It was one of those moments where it's like, I mean, we have said this repeatedly on this show. Like, this is a man who lacks even the smallest amount of empathy. Right. But just. Seeing that on display in such a crass way and in such a way that, frankly, like, like the easiest possible thing you can do is John McCain dies and you issue a statement about his. Yeah, I mean, it's like this is not difficult. None of that was difficult. Like that was the. The simplest, no debate, you just do it because it's a senator, let alone a, you know, a guy who spent five years in a fucking, you know, Vietnamese prison getting tortured. I mean, it's like you just do it. That's just what you do. You know, it doesn't matter if you didn't like the guy. You just fucking do it. It's just that's 101 level of anything. But like, not only does he lack any empathy, not only does he have no need for decorum, he's also fucking just holds a grudge forever. Also, I'm a mystery reader and I've always enjoyed books where someone dies and then puts like a challenge or a trick in their will where they (laughs) call certain people together and make them do certain things like often like you have to spend a night in my mansion or whatever and i've never seen that done in life but i was excited to see that john mccain actually uh did that where he's like i'm gonna make you go and you go and say nice things about me and you can't go and here's how i'm gonna play this out because i know it's this like is the, how it's going to go. It's like the perfect mix of the Westing game and National Treasure. Oh, Dan, my heart. I, I mean, I loved the Westing game. 
Oh, Dan. I probably did. read that book more than any other book in my whole life. Really? Yes. Me too. Really? Why aren't Why aren't we doing the Westing game cast? It's the reason I well, write mystery books and why I read them. Oh God, I loved that. Can we book. do a special episode on the Westing game? Yes. Dan, I, I don't know if I actually. I there's a fact you can't. You have to take this. We have to take this off the air. So has Hesuvians is going to go dark. Wow, that was amazing, Maureen. Too bad no well, one will ever know that. Don't tell anybody. You should write it into your will as a mystery when we, for says Whovians to solve. <sighs> I love I I actually just recently reread that book. This this spring. It holds up. It really does. What does not hold up is my copy, which is like a trade paperback from like 1982. And the type is like the size of a flea. Well, um, more things have happened. Um, I, I just want to talk about the Westing game. Uh, honestly, if when we start like a Patreon or something, then we'll do uh, various. Like we are some of our spinoff episodes could be Stardew Valley cast. Yep. Westing game podcast, yes. uh, an episode where we just watch all the president's men and I tell you all the things that I can uh, notice in it because I watch it like a maniac. Um, so that's some fun stuff to look forward to yeah. when we, I, we don't have any plans on doing that. It's just, you know, stuff that we could do. We could do that. Those are things we, we could, could do. do. So, uh, what else is happening, Dan? Uh, well, so we had a fun Fun little dalliance with the king of auto fellatio, Steve Bannon, this weekend. Dear, dear God, I'd... Oh. It was only two days ago, but boy, it feels like a century, doesn't it? Oh. Where the New Yorker, the esteemed New Yorker, a a publication that has done an incredible amount of good reporting around Trump, and we already mentioned the Ronan Farrow piece and the Ronan Farrow piece about uh, Harvey Weinstein, and, you know, I mean, a legitimately great news organization uh, announces that they are putting on, as they do every year in New York, the New Yorker Ideas Festival, and it was going to be headlined by Steve Bannon. Sure. And uh, what a shock. He's got ideas. Yeah, what a shock, Maureen. There was an outcry. Really? <laughs> yeah, I know. Weird, right? Who would have thought? Clearly, uh, you know, you name a, a white supremacist as the head of your uh, ideas festival. And uh, what a weird thing that a bunch of people are like, what the fuck? Honestly, Dan, I can't really think of a better fit than Steve Bannon and the audience of the New Yorker Ideas Festival. I mean, that's just a that Venn diagram is a circle. That's just. <laughs> yeah, that's that's some targeted. Yeah, I mean, it was it, it, it was a it was on Sunday. It was, it was just a couple of days ago. God, it feels a lot longer ago than that. Um, Can I just say this, Dan? Sure. I am tired. I am very tired of white dudes who think they're being edgy. Yes. Can we can we be done by, with that now? Yes. Well, and also just white dudes to whom, you know, discussing white supremacy and xenophobia and and all of that is just sort of a intellectual exercise. Yeah. I mean just and it's not it's not like white women are exempt, but I'm thinking of a particular kind of white guy in charge yeah. in the tech industry, in social media, in you know, as in editorial positions in, you know, positions like that who are like, but we're so, you know, we're encouraging to No what? Yeah. Like, oh, did, it's just, he... you know, the the carnival of ideas. May the best what? ones win. Yeah, it's uh it's a genuine two-handed head head clutcher. It, what they obviously knew when they did that that there would be an outcry, and did they think that that would? Dry? I mean, ticket sales for the New Yorker Festival ideas—they are—they're always pretty good. Sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, this go. is 
when you looked at the list of people that dropped out within an hour of the announcement, it was like, oh, that's a bunch of real famous people. Like, it wasn't like they were hurting for a name. No, like they would already like that's a pretty popular thing. People were already going. It's not like it's going to generate that much more revenue or they're like, okay, it'll get us press, but it'll only be bad press like and boy like i don't understand like what even on the on the simplest glancing level it's like what like even if you're had a totally crass idea it's not even a good crass idea no and it's it's it is a thing so i i work in journalism although i i don't work in anything right now maureen um but, uh, you know, my most of my years have been spent in journalism in, in one form or another. And it is so deeply frustrating to me two years into this shit to see the same fucking decisions being made over and over and over and over again that reflect a relationship with power that is just not reality right now. You know, like again with like decorum and the status quo and the way things work, this is how it's always been done. Is like, oh, well now these people are in charge, so we're going to bring them in and talk. And, and it's like, guess what? It doesn't fucking work that way right now. You know, like it's not just like, oh, they're in charge. It's like they represent horrible reprehensible toxic but also viral ideas and by bringing them in by legitimizing their voices at an ideas festival you are giving them ever more purchase into the center instead of out at the edges where they should be. And it is so fucking frustrating to see this happening over and over and over again. Nobody's learning. Nobody's learning. Yeah. White nationalism, take that idea, put it in a boat, set that boat on fire and push it out to sea. You never, ever, 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 ever give white nationalism a stage i mean what yeah you want to debate you want to debate white nationalism right yeah you simply by saying that you have legitimized the argument you know simply by saying there's something to debate you know you have lent the credence that they wanted you have given them the thing that they wanted you know that oh Fuck, Maureen. We need to make poop jokes or something. God damn it. We'll get there. Don't worry. But we, (laughs) when you, when you, he inevitably gets canceled when the baseline of common sense prevails and you've set the, you know, it's like, it's like this person walked in, set a fire and went debate. And then everyone else has to go and put out the fire. You know, like it's then, of course, Steve Bannon gets to say, well, you know, the uh, the libs got triggered. Right. The liberal and, you know, elite snowflakes in New yeah. York City just couldn't blah, handle blah, blah, my blah, blah, realness. And also, what? He needs a stage? Really? He needs a, He's got a media outlet? Yeah. Literally. Yeah. He's literally got a media outlet of his own. He was inside the White House. He was making appearances constantly. He's, you know, really... It's like it's like saying this guy needs a stage, but he's just walking from multiple stages to your like this guy has had plenty of stages and in fact owns several stages of his own. And you're like, but the only thing is, but if only this guy had a platform from which he could speak. So also, also, also is the audience that because they're like, well, you know, if measured debate, you know, it's like has 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 nothing that's happened from 2015 on penetrated right it is the audience that that everyone is going to care about like the one audience that you finally have to kind of try to convert or have that debate with the the audience at the new yorker festival of ideas in new york city right like is is that really where the 
where the, you know, are people that live in wherever or say somewhere else that are into Steve Bannon, are they finally going to be like, well, I'll tell you what, that one person at the New York Times Festival of Ideas in New York City really gave that Steve Bannon the what for and gave me a lot to think about. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, I there have been so many times over the last two years and really accelerating over the last year when you see, you know, Twitter stomping on its dick over and over again and and, you know, the New York Times fucking up and this thing and like that I come back to the title of, you know, radical historian Howard Zinn's autobiography, which was you can't be neutral on a moving train, you know, and it's just like that is where we are at. You know, that is where we are right now to say we're just a platform, you know, or we're just uh, debating ideas like you are you can't play neutral right now. It doesn't work. You know, and I'm I'm sure that the young Nazi, the young incel who's out there with his AR preparing to kill people of color or women or both is going to say, take a look at that New Yorker cartoon and just. Have a little bit of a second thought. A real think. Maybe. Have a deep well, I, think there. This has really given me something to think about. That dog, that adorable talking dog, and that caption. I'll tell you something. That's quite a zinger. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong about this killing all women thing. Yeah. I mean, and it's just, it's, it's. Man, I feel like we're getting really fe- depressing, but it just... Uh, we won't, because we're going to get to Says Who Kindergarten, and we will. But it's like when I looked at Jack giving his interview on CNN or wherever it was, and I was watching him kind of drone, because he has this kind of this steady drone of someone who's clearly been at a 10-day meditation retreat and uh, really uh, measured. Uh, just... Um, you know, we 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 did a lot of stuff and uh, in the beginning that we didn't think it through. So now we're wondering, you know, should we have made the like button so so big, or should we have put the number of followers on the on the side? And uh, and I'm, I looked at him and I go, well, for sure that guy, for sure, he has a surfboard on the wall of his office. He's got meditation beads on his wrist. I mean, they're there. And um, th- neither one of those things is going to help when your head's up your ass. No. And um, they just don't have any. It's this false sense of being edgy and being, you know, encouraging some debate. When people are like, we just really don't want to get murdered by Nazis. People are like, but have you thought about it? Yeah, but really. Let's but not, have you considered being murdered by Nazis? The discussion. Yeah, I mean, have you thought about it from the point of view of the Nazis who want to murder you? Yeah. Why should we stand in the way of what they want? We should at least hear out the Nazis that want to murder you. (sighs) And then there's, uh, by this time next week, we will have Bob Woodward's new book called Fear. Clearly, we have a new book for the Says Who book club. Yeah, we're going to have to read it. This is your boy. All the president's men, Bob Woodward. I'm excited. And uh, and you can talk about, you know, because you're a journalist and we'll have more of a sense of Bob Woodward's place in the Pantheon. I can talk about it from my obsessive love of all the president's men. Um, but Bob Woodward, along with Carl Bernstein, these were the two reporters at the Washington Post that were put on the story of the Watergate break-in, which at first was this little kind of little blip you know, not a big deal, but through a lot of like real kind of elbow grease and um, some very strange things like the development of the relationship with a a source known as Deep Throat, um, who would meet with Bob Woodward when he would leave, you know, Bob Woodward would leave a plant on his windowsill. And if the plant was out, that meant the meeting would be on and they yeah. would meet in the the garage of this park, you know, this underground parking lot. And um, a um, the Deep Throat was eventually just recently revealed to be, is it the assistant director of the FBI? Um, oh, God, what's his name? It's off the top of my head. I'm sick. Can't remember. But 
I know I almost always know his name, but it's not with me today. But Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein broke this story and they wrote it relentlessly and they did like phenomenal amounts of work and research on the story. Um, and they didn't, they aren't responsible for the downfall of Nixon. They are part, you know, they have a role to play in how the story is came out. Um, but they dug and they dug and they dug and they, he's, he's well known for doing kind of hardcore researched, documented journalism with a big capital J. Yeah. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I would also say he has, he has like, he is the Steve Jobs to Bernstein's Steve Wozniak to get very Apple nerdy. Wow. You know, in terms of like, he has, he has over the many years since really become the face of it all. Right. And, and specifically the like, you know, he writes a, a heavily researched first person interview based tomes about every president since. I think he's, I think he's done all of them, if I'm not mistaken. Um, maybe not Ford, probably not, I would guess. But I think everyone, no, I don't think everyone since like uh, Woodward has written the sort of definitive behind the scenes, heavily researched, you know, piece. They are rarely fully laudatory. They are always, you know, I mean, they did. And he did Nixon, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and and. So, you know, Bob Woodward writing a book about a presidency is a is a thing that happens. Everyone cooperates. You know, it's a it's a it's a real deal thing. He tapes everything. You know, I mean, he's he's like a billion years old at this point. So he has like assistants that help transcriptions and all of that stuff. So it's it's not like, oh, we had a conversation and I kind of took notes extemporaneously afterwards and stuff like that. Like he spoke to everyone except Trump. He never was able to get an interview with Trump. Um, but he spoke with everyone around him. He, you know, so yesterday, uh, again, this is uh, Wednesday. So yesterday, Tuesday, the yeah, I would fourth. S- I didn't want to interrupt, but it seems like unlike Michael Wolf, who seems to have gotten in by putting like a potted plant on his head and just kind of sitting in the corners of rooms and going, well, I'm a plant. You know, so I'm I'm obviously not paying any attention to what's happening here, and that getting things that way, Do- Bob Woodward comes in the front door, right? And 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 unlike Michael Wolff, which when you read his book, you realize like you can basically figure out exactly who is feeding the anecdotes to any given chapter based on who emerges as the hero of that chapter, right? And especially a a recently fired Steve Bannon is clearly a, a large number, you know, large amount of his sources. So, you know, you have to read the whole thing, similar to Omarosa's book, as, you know, a book that is sourced by people with axes to grind, right? Um Bob Woodward does like official interviews with people and records them and is pretty damn middle of the road. Like he is not the 1970s, like putting pots in his window, meeting with Deep Throat reporter anymore. He is pretty damn establishment, you know, Um, but he's good at his job. And so yesterday, uh, the Washington Post, which he still, you know, works for, uh, released excerpts from the book uh, as part of the beginning of, you know, the the kind of press hype around it because it comes out next week. And, oh, Maureen, they were something. I mean, nothing is surprising at this point, but it's different hearing that it's coming from him where he's, you know, got somebody on the record. He's got. This is all going to be documented. Quotes like, he's an idiot. It's pointless to try to convince him of anything. He's gone off the rails. We're in crazy town. Kelly is quoted as saying at a staff meeting in his office, I don't even know why any of us are here. This is the worst job I've ever had. There there are multiple quotes from Kelly along those lines in in the excerpts that have come out. And I realized in, in like rereading the Washington Post piece before recording, like, He's basically that guy in office space who's like, if you move my desk again, I'm going to burn the whole place down. Right. Like (laughs) I need my stapler. Like he is not going anywhere. 
But he's like, I'm going to burn down the wine house. You know, like this is John Kelly. Like he is the most ineffective, sad little mutter under his breath piece of shit. Like, like there's another point where Gary Cohn tries to um, just after the Charlottesville white supremacist riot that killed a person. uh, Gary Cohn uh, tries to resign. And uh, Trump calls him a traitor and convinces him not to. And he meets with Kelly and Kelly's like, I would have shoved that the resignation right up his ass. And it's like, no, you wouldn't (laughs) do like, no, you fucking would. Like you're here. You're still here. Why are you still here? If you hate it so much, fuck you. (laughs) Uh, Gary Cohn does also make an appearance in the most like, holy shit anecdote of the whole thing where, uh, there is a um, there's a letter on Trump's desk that was to formally withdraw the United States from a trade agreement with South Korea. And Cohn just takes the letter off of Trump's desk and, according to the article, later told an associate that he removed the letter to protect national security and that Trump didn't notice it was missing. So to go back to what you said at the beginning of the episode, Maureen, like, does he even president? Like, I think the answer is no. No, no. I mean, it's a there is. um, There's another great quote from Reince Priebus, who said, when you put a snake and a rat and a falcon and a rabbit and a shark and a seal in a zoo without walls, things start getting nasty and bloody. Okay, can we just stop a second? We could do an entire special episode about that quote, Maureen. I want I want to I want to read it really slow. Yeah. When you put a snake, sure, and a rat, yep, and a falcon, okay, and a rabbit, seems unfair, and a shark, okay, and a in a seal, yeah, in a zoo without walls. So, a snake <laughs> and a rat, okay, yeah, but okay, then there's a falcon, right? So there's a, a there's a roof. Is the falcon on a chain? I don't know. This, you know, the falcon's flying around, and it can presumably get at the snake and the rat. But then there's this rabbit. The rabbit's who, just a sad little situation. The rabbit is fucked, Dan. Like, oh, my what? God. You know what? In that quote, Priebus thinks he's the rabbit. Does he? Yes. But also, there should never be a situation that is rabbit v. shark. <laughs> I like just give like maybe the rabbit has a gun. I'm maybe he has Dan, a little rabbity gun. If you have a situation in which a rabbit is facing down a shark, the rabbit has already died because it's underwater. Well, or the shark's already dead, and the rabbit's like, "Yeah, fuck you. I can breathe air. How you like, like a, me now? Like a rock paper scissors kind of a situation? Like exactly what is it? It's like if you're playing falcon rabbit shark, and you're like, well." <laughs> Oh, that's shark. our new game, Maureen. <laughs> falcon rabbit shark. Yeah. So it's falcon beats rabbit. Yep. Shark beats, I guess, falcon? Sure. It could kind of jump up out of yeah, water and just eat like the falcon, presumably? Yeah, that would be awesome. Rabbit beats shark, I think, because... Yeah, the shark's not in water. Right. Yeah. So shark seems like okay. a great game. But oh, what if there's a little pond? It's also a bad zoo if it doesn't have walls because like or I think it's that, the most awesome zoo. I don't think if it, there's no walls, I just think that's not a zoo. It's like Thunderdome. Yeah, it's like either the the wild itself or it, if it doesn't have walls, it's not it's the not wild itself because none of those animals would be hanging out. I mean, with the exception of like maybe the snake and the rabbit or whatever, like none of those an- and the shark and the seal, none of those other animals are hanging out together. I maintain that in what order to What if they're having, these... what if they're, what if they're crime fighting animals? You know, they're not crime fighting. They could be. No, it's like a Legion of Doom situation. No, they're crime starting. Mm-hmm. And I think the rabbit is actually. In, in the charge of it because to to hang out with that crew you've got to be the yeah. baddest of them all right that rabbit on the first day of the no wall zoo just punched the shark in the face just to show how tough it was and then everyone gave it respect yeah and then he was like all right guys this is what we're gonna do 
I'm running this joint. And the snake's like, oh, my God, boss. I hope you don't jump on me again with your big feet and your big ears. Oh, listen up, rat. Give me a carrot. Hey, I'm a shark. I'm going to just stick my head out of the water here. Hey, and he's smoking. Hey, and the seal's like, well, I don't really have a role in any of this. I can be in the water or not. Like, I can kind of go between them, and I guess that makes my power. I'm going to roll over and have a fish. (laughs) Yeah, the seal's just like, guys, come on. Try to, can we just try to get along a little bit here? I don't... I don't really see any need. You know, we, we're kind of fine how we are. Shut up, seal. <sighs> well, anyway, they uh, there was a tape of of Trump talking to Woodward. Yeah, so t- so the White House immediately was like, this is totally made up. This is all bullshit. Like, he didn't talk to anyone. And so the Washington Post was like, oh, here's a tape of Woodward talking to Trump last month about the fact that he kept trying to get Trump to be in the book and nobody would tell him. And it's a it's a pretty good tape in which he's, you know, if you've probably you've probably heard it, but it's basically Trump going, no one told me, no one told me. Like, I would have talked to you. I would love to talk to you. And he's like, well, here's who I talked to. I talked to this person. I talked to this person. He's like, well, no one told me. He's like, well, I talked to Kellyanne and then, and then, through whatever kellyanne walks in he's like why (laughs) ask her yeah she's like hi bob yeah you know well i forwarded up the chain but there was nothing that could be done he's like well who too like aren't you there and he's she's like yeah you know nothing could be done they rejected it and he's like well who did who did you send it to she's like i gotta go it was great talking to you bob and She's, he's like, I had a whole lunch with you about this. Like, we sat down. We talked about this for three hours. Yes. Anyway. Bye, Bob. And then Trump's like, well, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you should have called someone. You could have. Well, yeah, he was like, person. you should have you talked to my personal secretary instead of the press office. He's like, well, the only thing I can tell you is that I'm just doing the best job that's ever been done. And, you know, that's really the only truth, you know, like. I'm just really good at this. Yeah, and then he's like, well, it's too bad that it's going to be a negative book, I guess. <laughs> he he comes across really pretty pathetic, actually. Like, he comes across like nobody's talking to him. You know, like nobody's bringing anything to his attention. Um, Like, all of the shots are being called outside of the room, you know? And so he's just like, wait, why didn't anyone tell him? And then it, In other what- words... Really living up to the quotes that we've heard so far of people just taking shit off his desk or or like, you know, getting an order from him and then turning to a to a subordinate being like, yeah, yeah, we're not doing that. Just he'll forget, you know, and it's just like, Jesus, like there is nobody there is nobody running the show. Yeah. Gee, I wonder why they wouldn't want Trump talking to Bob Woodward. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, the thing the thing is, like, we've talked a bit about how credible Woodward is, you know, and so once again, all of these reports are be are coming out, you know, these leaks coming out and then they're they're coming and countering them. They've had, you know, pretty much everyone issue oddly similar sounding uh, statements that, you know, they never said anything bad about the president and, you know, make America great again. Um But one thing that I do find frustrating, this is the fourth or so book, if not more, that are, you know, behind the quote unquote behind the scenes looks into the Trump White House. And we keep getting caught up in the debate of like which of the people quoted as calling Trump an idiot did or didn't actually call him an idiot, you know, and it's like in aggregate, these books are incredibly consistent. You know, but we never get to the point of being able to take that wide view and be like, there's nobody fucking home because we keep getting caught up in like, oh, look at this crazy detail. And like we are at an aggregate point now, especially with somebody with the credibility of Woodward coming in like that confirms all the other books. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll probably get to that when we read. Maybe we'll do a special recording because I am going to be reading that book. Oh, yeah. Big time. But for now, Maureen, 
For now, our theme music is performed by Ted Leo. And our logo is designed by Darth. Darth, Darth. I love you. We love you, Darth. Darth, we love you. Dan, I can I just say this? I guess. Oh, hello, Zelda. Aww. Come on up on the bed, sweetie. Come on. Oh, hi, sweetie. Come on, Nurse Zelda. Come here. Yes, I'm still recording from bed, and the Zelda has just woken up from her bed and has come up onto my Oh, thank you, Zelda. She's she's watching over me. I really I'm you know how you get nauseous but you're hungry at the yep. same time? Sure do. Cause I haven't had any food. Things I've eaten the last couple of days. Raspberry sherbet, one banana, rice pudding, and a bowl of lumpy cream of wheat. Yeah. And I I believe in my future is half a banana muffin. When my son had the flu and we basically locked him in a room for five days, he just lived off muscle milk. Ooh. He came out looking like the Hulk. Boof. Boof. Like that? That's yeah. a, that's muscles popping like, up. Whoa. Boof, boof. Exactly. But when you can't get out to go to the store, like my mother's here. She's been like, it's so pathetic, Dan. Um, she's like, I'm going to go get you Gatorade and rice pudding. And I'm like, mom, you don't have to. And she's like, I'm going. And then she's off. So she's she's nursing. It's good to have a mom who's a nurse. And she's also like, like she, the nurse thing never switches off. So like right. it's like she's got a person to nurse. So she's like, drink this, eat this. Try to eat that banana, um, but say you can't get out to shop if you're if you're sick and you know you're and you need something to eat like a, a banana or some lumpy cream of wheat. Why not try? What is that? What is that noise? What are you doing? I'm I'm just you- I feel sorry for you. Because you're so sick. I'm just mm-hmm. going to let you do this. You got this one for free. When you're, um, when you're blue. That's it. I'm just, when you're, when you're, you're sad, you're just blue. And. Okay. All right. Well, you can contact us at Says Who Podcast on Twitter. And, you know, you can you, email you need at, to hey. re- You need to replenish your fluids. Um, and you can do that. And, you know, the soft foods, but say you need to eat just like a potato, just like a potato. And you're you like, email us at, hey, that's if H-E-Y someone would mail me a, podcast.com. a potato. I just want I'm not I'm not my heart's not even in it, Dan. You're you're not feeling well, Mort. Don't push yourself. Yeah, just take a breath. I'll but I'll there, close this out here. But there are you can join the discussion on Facebook at slash groups slash says Whovians. It's so Our important. Facebook group is moderated by Janice Dillard. To have a like someone to help you, and maybe you can get that help by using ZipRecruiter. Um, oh boy, ZipRecruiter recruiter also is not a, our not our sponsor. It's a place where you put your resume, or you, I don't know, you like put a resume in it, or you get a resume, or I don't know, like no. random people yeah, send you nothing. emails. Like it's okay. You can hire right. us. Maureen, you're and, gonna you're gonna give yourself the vapors. You're working real hard here. ZipRecruiter, I guess, sends weirdos and randos to you. Just you know. take a deep breath. So like it's like getting spam email, but from like, I don't know, people with resumes. ZipRecruiter. Have a little I bite don't know. Of crushed ice or something, Maureen. Just I got it from here. You can join us on September nineteenth for our next episode. Maureen. Maureen. Maureen, I need you to focus up for just a second. Need you to come out of your illness haze. It isn't just our next episode on September 19th, Maureen. It is our two-year anniversary. It was not supposed to happen, Dan. No wonder you feel so sick. Well, I'll tell you what. We may have a guest for you. And the official launch of of Sezu Kindergarten, which was, was postponed because of quarantine. Going back to basics. And you know what, Dan? Back to basics. I think before we go, a little, says the kindergarten preview, a little boost, a lift. We think you should read the Westing game. Do it. Do it. Yeah. it's So you can join our special Westing cast. Westing cast. It's a, it's a. It's a quick but incredibly fun read. Like it holds up. It is. If you've never heard of it, it is a mystery. It's a middle grade mystery, 
and but anybody can read it like it's it's really a fun book and it's about it is a wonderfully charming book yeah it's so good so you know when you're done reading getting candles and reading truly Evious, the westing game you know your library will have it any bookstore should have it it's so good it's by ellen raskin it's so good it's so good you'll love it it's true and then and yeah all that and more coming up two years maureen and we want to thank Blue Apron for being our sponsors for all two no, years are. of Says Who. Not. And you can get a special two-year promotional effort uh, uh, offer by www.blueapron.seshu.com.twoyears.offer.com. And they'll send you salmonella. It's so good. That's perfect. All right. From my basement in Chicago, I'm Dan Sinker. From my bed in New York... I'm Maureen Johnson, I think. And this has been Says Who. You need to drink some of that Gatorade, Maureen, and take a, take a, take a, take a break. Take a nap. I'm so tired of, of Gatorade. Yeah. I don't want to drink, drink anymore. Muscle milk. It helps. Oh. It's full of protein. And it's also kind of snot textured. Oh, damn. Why did you say that? <laughs> Oh, it's, it's like you just put a shark on my falcon.